ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Failing Forward here on the Sample Hour. Um, we didn't know if we we're going to keep doing these shows, but Scott and I decided to, and now we have on a very special guest today. Well, first of all, Scott, welcome back to the show. Thanks, man. And we have a very guest, a special guest today. He's in the course with us, the Profitable Urban Farming course. He is the owner and operator of Two Roots Farms. Um, looks like he runs it with Hannah Kauf- Harper Kaufman. His uh, his is that your is she your, like your girlfriend, your life partner, Scott, or your life partner, girlfriend, yeah, farming partner, perfect, <laughs> all of the above. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's awesome, man. And you guys are out of Colorado. Now, where are you guys? Where are you guys out of in in Colorado? It's in Carbondale. How close is that to Denver area? Yeah, yeah. So um, we are in the western slope of Colorado. So we're about three and a half hours west of Denver, um, and about an hour and a half east of Grand Junction. So we're kind of we're kind of smack dab in the middle of the state, a little bit western. We're our farm sits at just over seven thousand feet in elevation. Crazy. So um, crazy. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a it's a cool cool as in a place and cool as in a climate uh, place to be farming for sure. It's a um, you're by you're like forty five minutes away from Aspen. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. So we're. Uh, we're at the kind of at the top of the Roaring Fork Valley, which um, the Roaring Fork River runs to the Colorado River, um, and the Roaring Fork Valley is you know the top of the valley is Aspen, and down is Glenwood Springs. We're kind of smack dab in the middle there. So and, then, where's your market? Are you going? Are you going up to Aspen to sell all your product and up and down the valley? Yeah, we're so we. We do a Saturday market during from June to October in Aspen, and then we sell to about we sell to about three or four restaurants in Aspen proper, and then we and then we do quite a bit in Carbondale, the town that we live in, um, which is just about ten minutes from our place. Cool. So between the two, we kind of we're working with about ten different restaurants. Uh, the majority of them being in Carbondale, and then and then the one market in Aspen on Saturdays, which is a pretty busy, high volume market. We we're pretty fortunate to get in our first year. Yeah, I remember seeing. Um, I remember seeing you post. It was like after your first farmers market. You guys did did some really good business that first day. Um, I remember seeing the uh, the the sheets that we take our our inv- and inventory sheets or whatever they call them. Um, yeah, 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 and it was it was cool to see. I was like, "Holy cow, man!" Christian killed it today, because uh, I, I I was feeling good about my little number that I did, and uh, <laughs> but so why did you? So what made you guys want to get into farming? So what made um, you and Harper decide let's do farming? When you started, were you originally in uh, Colorado? Yeah, so uh, kind of a, it's kind of a long story, but also not really. Um, we, Harper's, Harper's from just on the other side of the mountains from here is where she was born and raised. So her parents live about 30 minutes from where we are, but we, 
We got started farming in Montana where we went to school at the University of Montana. And we, I studied environmental studies, and we both studied uh, climate change science and a um, host of other things. But there we interned on the, the university farm there, the Pease Farm, which was kind of a cool way to, to get credits by you know, spending six, seven hours a week on this farm. It was, you know, farming light, as I would like to say. You know, it was all the fun, romantic stuff about farming to keep you, to keep you super jazzed about it. And um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the 12-hour-a-day <laughs> part of farming. So it was nice. That's kind of that's how, we, how we got started. And, um, you know, I think, like most people, everybody has their own reasons for getting into it, but we were studying climate change and, um, you know, long story short, it was agriculture was one of the biggest contributors to greenhouse gas emissions and, and things like that. And, you know, agriculture can also be one of the, uh, biggest contributors to combating climate change through, you know, rotational yeah. grazing of livestock, you know, uh, Joel Salatin's model and uh, Mark Shepard's models and, 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 and all that stuff. So that's kind of how we got our foot in the door with farming. It's obviously changed quite a bit in the five years since then. Um, but that was kind of the basis for getting into it. And, you know, we, we interned on a couple farms, uh, one in California, which was a larger six, seven acres veggies and they we milked 25 goats and had some pigs and sheep and and some beef cows and and the whole thing and then we kind of by luck applied for this job to manage a farm out here where we are now um and for some reason they decided to hire us even though we weren't very qualified <laughs> to to do it and that was that was the cool that was a cool learning experience for us. It was mostly livestock based. We um, we farrowed about forty pigs a year from some some heritage breed large black pigs. Had a flock of about a hundred sheep that we were rotating with a few hundred laying hens, and then did some did some meat chickens as well. And then our kind of big project with them was getting a one acre sort of market garden up and running putting up some putting up some greenhouses and things like that and that was that was an amazing learning experience we got to have the opportunity to sort of learn on somebody else's dimes as you know as you could say it and um make a lot of mistakes that way and you know after a couple years of doing that it was just we wanted to phase out of the animals just cuz we were really feeling overworked and not, um, you know, we just weren't able to perform it at the ability that we wanted to on, you know, in the market garden with the animals. It was just kind of keeping everything going. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really funny how everybody, it's really funny how everybody always wants to like, that's what I did too. Like your story kind of really resonates with me. Cause that's the same thing I was thinking about, like the climate change and everything and agriculture just seemed like yeah. the, the most actionable thing to do. Right. 
But like, I had dreams of having like this beautiful mixed farm with like animals, and you know, part of it's going to be like wild and regenerative. And then after a little bit, you just kind of get into it, and you're like, "Fuck, that's going to be a lot of work." Like, I don't think I want to do that. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. I mean, like we would we would be, uh, you know, in in the middle of summer with all the animal chores. I mean, we'd get we we'd get to the farm at you know six a.m. and we wouldn't be done with just taking care of the animals until 10 o'clock or so. And then we could start on the, on the veggie stuff. And, and, and that was just doing the animal chores. So if we had any, any other maintenance that needed to be done or major moves of animals, it was like, you know, we weren't getting to the garden until lunchtime. By that time, you know, it's 90 degrees outside already, you know, forget cutting your salad greens or whatever you want to do. So it was that, that was, yeah, exactly just like we we needed to focus a little bit and uh we've we had the perfect opportunity to to move away from where we were um we had uh, a good friend who owns about 15 acres not too far from where we were working and um we kind of went up to them and said hey do you know anybody who might be willing to lease a little bit of land to do some market gardening and they had a little garden going already and they were just kind of like, well, why don't you just come up here and do it? So that's kind of that's kind of where we are now. That's pretty cool, man. Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's that's an interesting. It seems to be the story of a lot of different farmers, just like what Scott was saying. And uh, it, it seems like I think everybody, um, you know, it, you really. It seems like you have to pick which one you want to do. And that was something Ray Tyler said he was to start, doing. Definitely to start. Yeah, definitely to start. I think yeah. if, if you're going to have yeah. additions to the operation, you, you, it seems like you, you need to be in a position where you can pay somebody else to do it because otherwise you're just, or to manage something else because otherwise you're just not going to have enough time and your life's going to be miserable and you're not going to be. I mean, like I think all of us kind of got into farming because we wanted to own our own time and we wanted to be able to enjoy our lives. And if 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 you're mis- if you're more miserable farming than you were working a, a nine to five, what's the point in doing it? Um, and I think yeah, that's, that's exactly. the thing to remember. Um, no, right on. Is that your first year at this new property? Then it is. Yeah. So we moved we moved up here about a year ago from now, and kind of we did a lot of late fall soil prep. Man, we we figured out we were coming up here, and you know, winter is pretty well set in at this point. This year it's a little warmer, but I I just remember last year, like we found out we were coming up here, and we bought some garlic from a friend, and we were just jamming garlic into like frozen (laughs) solid oil. (laughs) I think garlic, but it was great. It was great garlic. It did it it did so well. It was amazing. When did you um so when were when did, when you when did you guys really start to focus in on we just want to be market gardeners instead of doing the animals and everything Yeah I mean I think it, it it really happened you know at the end of last summer you know after after 2 years of of you know 3 years really of doing doing both animals and vegetables we both really love working with animals and i think we both have that 
drive um, and either that that little bit more of that homesteady desire of just really knowing our animals and knowing where our meat is is coming from. But as you know, we also just wanted to be able to take a vacation or be gone for even forty eight hours. Yeah. So yeah. it was like is like let's animals are great, but free time is better. So it was kind of, it was an easy decision for us and and you guys both know getting up and running on the veggie side of things is way more approachable financially than Absolutely. getting yeah. up and running with with an animal operation i mean like if we wanted to get you know a few head of cattle it's like all of a sudden you're 10 grand oh yeah you're 10 grand in and that's just for the animals yeah, mm-hmm. scalability seems to just be a huge bitch for animals, man. Like because yeah. it's just so yeah. expensive. The inputs are so much more, and you got to get if you want to if you want to raise them properly, you got to make sure you have the the right kind of feed, and the right kind of feed can cost depending on how many animals you have. You know, thousands of dollars a month. So I I uh, that makes perfect sense, man. Um, yeah. When so when did you guys now? When did you guys find Curtis's course, and what and and when when did you guys uh, join? Um, join up in the in the uh in the in the secret community that we all have yeah, <laughs> yeah i know it's lucky uh, we're lucky to have found it that's for sure um i i definitely you know to just to a plug i know you guys do it all the time but to anybody who is thinking about the course i mean the, the course is, has been absolutely instrumental in our success a hundred percent like I, I can't stress it enough. It's been incredible for us. Um, but as far as when we kind of figured out a little bit, we went to we went to PV two. Um, two was that two years ago? Yes. Yeah. Um, and we we had just read. I think you know we had just read JM's book. And, you know, that was definitely, you know, making us raise our eyebrows a little bit. And, and then we also saw Curtis's talk as well. And I think it was, it was seeing, seeing JM and Curtis at, um, at PV2 and, and, and Luke, Luke gave a really good talk as well. And, and it was just kind of all those things put together of, you know, Oh, these guys are you know talking about operations where you know they're making making some some decent income and you know low overhead. I think that was kind of our our big thing was just finding a way to get in without totally stressing ourselves out. Yeah. Um, and and then you know kind of kind of went from there. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'd say that was kind of that was kind of where it all began for sure, where we kind of made that switch from. Okay, let's let's focus a little bit more on the market gardening thing. And who were you? Who were you kind of modeling after before? Was did you just had you just read like Elliot Coleman's books, or was just kind of? Um, uh, I guess who who were you modeling before you you came across Curtis and JM? Because you said yeah. you were doing market gardening a little bit, so um, you know it's it's always interesting to hear. Yeah, I think I mean as far as the resources we were using, I think we were just mostly using, you know, kind of Elliot Coleman stuff as kind of a framework. Um, I mean, even, it seems like even 
you know, three, four years ago, you know, there wasn't the market gardening resources that there are now um, with, you know, the Facebook groups, you know, Jam. Yeah, no, there wasn't. Kind of coming on. Yeah, so we, and we were, so the, the nonprofit we were farming for, you know, they had this nice um, Kubota tractor with the rototiller and, and, you know, all these implements and stuff. So we were farming an acre, but we were using, we were using a tractor for, the majority of it, and we were growing, you know, we were growing potatoes, we were doing some salad greens and some other stuff, but, you know, we were doing potatoes and winter squash and um, a lot of that stuff that, you know, it doesn't necessarily make that much sense on the market gardening scale. Yeah. So we were kind of, we it was it was more or less just like a, you know, we were using the tractor and then we were looking at Johnny's catalog and being like, oh, this sounds so much fun. Let's try this. You know, <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we, you know, we didn't, we, we weren't really Focused. thinking about what the, what the market wants, you know, what people want. It was just kind of like, oh, let's try this and, and then see how it goes. And yeah, well, you start off um, and you don't know what questions to ask. Exactly. Like, yeah. Now that, now that like if I was going to start out again, I would tell somebody to just like, you have to know what your market is. And I had Curtis tell me that and I, like a whole bunch of people, but like, you don't know, you're just thinking like, Oh, I'm going to start a farm. I'll just kind of do whatever I want. People will buy it. Cause it's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> um, yeah. And, 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 and then when we, you know, taking the, taking the course has been really huge for us getting started because you know, where we are, it's, it's a rural area, but I like to think it more as kind of like an urban farm in a way because the Roaring Fork Valley where we are is kind of the the hub. You know, you've got Aspen, Carbondale, Glenwood Springs. Um, it's rural in most people's standards, but there's a lot, you know, thriving restaurant scenes. It's a very tourist-driven economy. And the majority of the farms that were selling to this market, you know, were... 80, 100, 150 miles away. So, and where where the growing season was a lot warmer, so they were doing all the tomatoes, the melons, all that stuff. And Curtis's course, it was really instrumental in helping us just kind of zero in. It's like, okay, well, what's our role here? Yeah. We can grow, we can grow greens and root vegetables really well. So let's just focus on having those, having some cool varieties, and having them every single week. And um, that's kind of what we based our model off this past year. And it worked really well for, my, for us because we, we came into the Aspen Farmers Market. Um, you know, some growers, I think, I think they were a little bit hesitant to accept us in there because they're like, you know, who are these new guys? You know, some growers have been there for 15, 20 years and we really didn't want to step on too many toes. So coming in with bunches of radishes and turnips and beets and carrots and salad mix and microgreens, it's like nobody was really doing that. So it was perfect. We weren't really stepping on anybody's toes and, and, and it really worked out for us. How's, how, how's your reception been from other farmers? Like how do, they, how do other farmers, yeah, you know what I'm saying? It just, just how are they, um, how do they interact with you? 
Yeah, yeah. I I think it's um it's cordial. I mean, for as far as the other vegetable farmers go, I think there's there's like with any farmers market scene, there's you know, you're prowling around at their booth and being like, Okay, what are you doing here? Um, but uh it's all it's all friendly. You know, I don't I don't I don't really know what they're thinking about us, but um I know people pretty think I'm certain crazy. that <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like they're like, well, this, I mean, this I mean, kid thinks he's gonna come and sell salad and make it work and blah blah everybody else is struggling. I'm like, oh no, I'll just try. <laughs> Exactly. And you know, those, those growers, they're like, man, you can have the salad mix. I don't want to, I don't want to spend my time washing and cutting salad mix. Sounds like a pain in the ass. So, um, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of happy to, to give us those crops that aren't very fun. You know, they, they'll love, they'll love the, you know, the heirloom tomatoes and the, and the melons and peppers and all that stuff. So, Those seem I a lot more been, boring to me because it, you know you can, <laughs> you can only harvest them so many times, and then it's like you have to you have to get everybody does it, man. It's it's not uh, and it, it just isn't as profitable in the long run. And and just in my mind, like I I wouldn't even like just seeing what I've seen at farmers markets around here, just even opportunity with restaurants. Um, you know, it it, it just it, it doesn't seem like it's worth a. It seems more of a hustle than. Oh no! This is a great. This is a. This is a big potential business. Yeah, it's it's hard to be going against the stream though. If everybody else is doing that, it's really easy to be like, oh well. If every other vegetable grower is doing heirloom tomatoes, I should do that too because obviously everybody else is doing it, so it's right. You know what I mean? We are we're social animals. We're creatures of habit, right? Um, it's hard to go against that stream and be like, no, I'm going to do my lettuce thing, and everybody's like, no, that's a bad idea. And then I'm like, no, I'm going to sell the grocery stores. And they're like, no, that's so hard to get into grocery stores. You can't do that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Like, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, it's for some of these farmers, it's, it's an e- it would be easy to go into that stream because, you know, some of these growers have been doing it for 15, 20 plus years. So clearly something is working. So yeah. it's, it's hard to, to not be like, well, I should do that too. No, that that makes sense. So what? So okay. So this was your your first real year, then, just doing market gardening, doing greens, and you know stuff from the course. And it sounds like you guys had the addition of garlic. Um, what uh, what did you guys learn this year? So what did you guys? What were what were like your biggest takeaways on the year? Yeah, um, I, our biggest. I mean, for us was. Aside from crops, aside was we're we're really lucky to have a a really strong restaurant scene and sh- chefs that are re- super supportive and you know it's Aspen, Colorado, so they're charging high dollar for a lot of their stuff, so they're willing to pass that along to the farmers as long as the quality is there and. That you know, that's kind of been our big takeaway. We didn't really know where our sales outlets would kind of go. Um, you know, the farmers market was huge for us. We knew that would be high high volume and 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 a good decision. But you know, the restaurants it just really took off. We had we got to the point where we just kind of had to stop calling people because we had our core of you know five six restaurants that were buying us out. That's so, cool. um, 
and it, which was awesome. And, you know, we just kind of, it was, I think I got, I got some numbers here. It was, you know, our salad mix was about 35, 40% of our sales microgreens, which was basically just pea shoots, sunflower shoots. That was 20%. So those two items, you know, that was 60% of our, of our gross income right there. And then, and then carrots, turnips, radishes. I think those, those five right there, um, are probably about 75% of what we were doing. And so for us, it's just going to be kind of increasing that a little bit and more with the root veg, just maintaining consistency with, with that stuff is kind of where we're looking towards for next year. Nice. Yeah. So what's, uh, so you, are you, are you going to scale back then on the root veg or like, uh, like garlic or anything like that? Are there any crops that you're going to completely eliminate? No, I think we're a little bit, as so I should back up a little bit. We also do do a CSA. Okay. And, um, I really love it. And, you know, it, it doesn't, it's one of those things. It's like to each his own. I really like having a little bit more crop diversity. I love growing, I love growing salad mix because people love it and, and it pays our bills. But I don't want to be a salad farmer either. Um, so, you know, I really, I, I really love, I love growing green beans and snap peas and garlic and onions and all of those things that um, kind of have that more seasonality to them, you know, are always a signal of the change of seasons. And I really like that. And, our, and the, the CSA core that we have is, um, is really great. And we kind of definitely strive to make it, keep it exciting for them. So we are... We're, so we're the two of us are operating on a half an acre. We're adding another quarter acre next year, so we can kind of add some more fun stuff, mm-hmm. um, some more brassicas, broccoli, cauliflower, which um, we're excited about. And you know, to kind of make that work for us, we're going to do broccoli and cauliflower, and in between, we're going to do um, you know salanova heads within the beds of broccoli and cauliflower to kind of make those beds pay. Cool. Yeah. So that, that's, that's going to be kind of how we can make that one work a little bit. And then we're going to definitely up the, up the carrots and beets because it's really nice to have that, those, those storage carrots and beets for us. Um, Cause the winter season is even bigger than the summer season here because mm-hmm. of the skiing. So it would be real. We're we're trying to kind of find a meld of that, the market garden, um, fresh produce, with some storage crops, so we can maintain that cash flow into the winter months. Now, are you guys looking to do any season extensions? So you guys can keep, can keep going. I see you guys do have a little little uh, caterpillar tunnel in the photo on your website. Um, yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, we've got we've got one twelve by seventy foot caterpillar tunnel, and then um, we've also got a 
a small, I think it's a 24 by 36 hoop house that was already up here uh, that the owners were kind of, were growing some summer stuff in. And so we have those two planted out in, in some Salanova, red Russian kale and spinach that we've just been slowly harvesting and kind of metering out so we can keep that going through the winter. And it's, it's just taken off and it's, it's in a really good spot right now, now that we're getting some cold nights. So, um, yeah, we've, we've got that a little bit to get a little bit of cash flow. And then we've got some carrots that we're continuing to sell, mostly just to one restaurant. But aside from that, we're kind of kind of slowing down this winter. Um, yeah, totally. It's your first year. Yeah, we're, we're stoked on. You know, it was a good year. No need to, no need to drag it out too, too much more and just kind of call it good and, and reset next year. That's exactly how I feel. I've, I've been working on my farm for like a year and a half. And then I kind of shut it down at the end of last month just for, not because my season was like the weather was done, just because it's kind of how all my sales and stuff ended. And I have like, I kept a couple customers, but man, I've been doing nothing for the past month, like no farming stuff or minimal. And it's been awesome. <laughs> like, honestly, it's been so great. I've got to like go do stuff and hang out with people. <laughs> oh, it's just what? Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so important to just reinvigorate yourself. And, and, and that's why we're farming where we are because we have distinct seasons and it, it snows a lot. And I would it's assume a great way to, it's a great way to shut down. I would assume that going forward for you guys, if you guys are going to stay in this town, that season extension and using plastic and stuff is going to be quite a big deal for you. Because like I know, and anybody that's been at elevation knows that you have like fluctuations really fast in weather. And all of a sudden one day you can just have snow when you didn't expect it or hail when you didn't expect it. And your whole crops can be, be like completely wiped out. Right. So anything undercover is a lot more safe. Absolutely. Um, it's funny you mentioned hail because we had a pretty, pretty big hail event, uh, on July 3rd, yeah, which was right. <laughs> oh man. It was, it was, it was brutal. And we lost, we lost virtually all of our greens that were outside. Shredded um, lettuce. <laughs> shredded lettuce, shredded kale, shredded salanova, everything. Um, some stuff, some stuff rebounded. Um, luckily, you know, root veggies were underground, so that wasn't a big deal. But that was, you know, that was. That was a huge hit for us. There was, I think it was two and a half or three weeks where we didn't really have much except for whatever root veggies we could get and, and our microgreens and tomatoes, which were under cover of the hoop houses. So yeah. Had you anticipated totally that? On. Yeah, having that season extension is huge. Yeah. Did you anticipate having freak weather events or was it something where you're like, oh shit, I didn't expect that to happen? Well, I mean, obviously, you never, yeah, you never expect it to happen when it happens, but like you know that you're going to have some crop failure and extreme weather events. Yeah, and to be honest, we didn't, we that hadn't even entered our mind because um, we had been here for a few years, and there was never any big hailstorms that were wiping out people's crops or 
anything like that. You know, th- th- I think the biggest worry is getting getting a snowstorm in late August or early September when you're not ready for it kind of thing. Um, but no, that one totally caught us off guard. And it was, it was one of those kind of recentering moments where you're like, okay, this is, this is farming, you know, this is working, working outside and I'm not in charge and I'm just going to kind of. Yeah. It's so funny that like just dealing with that adversity, as soon as it happens, and you sit there and you're kind of pouting about it for a couple minutes or days or however long it takes different people to cope with it. But you're sitting there and then at some point in time you realize it already fucking happened. I just got to deal with it now. Like we just got to, are we going to yeah. quit? Or are we going to go forward? Right? Absolutely. And, and the, and our community was so, you know, our CSA members were totally understanding. We had some farmers near us donate some stuff for our CSA and, you know, our restaurant customers, they were totally chill with it. One of our restaurant customers invited us. He just, he kind of, you know, he texted me. He's like, hey, you know, is there anything we can do? I was like, no, no, just, you know, don't get mad at me because we're not going to meet your order for the next two weeks. Um, and, and he's like, well, why don't you, why don't you come in, come into the restaurant and, and have, have a glass of wine or something like that. And we show up and it's this really nice restaurant. I mean, I would never be able, I would never be able to afford anything in there. And they sit us down and, you know, we think we're just getting some free drinks and, and all of a sudden they're just bringing out plate after plate after plate. And before we know it, it's, you know, it must've been kind of, you know, three, $400 worth of stuff. And they're just, they're like, no, man, this is on the house. Like, and it was, that was, was, it was so cool to have that kind of support. Um, especially being, you know, new growers and people understand, you know, farming's tough and, um, they're, they just want to, they just wanted to support us as, as young beginning farmers. And it was, that was, that was pretty inspiring for sure. And we've just been kind of trying to reciprocate, reciprocate the love as we as we've been able to since we've recovered that's great man when did your when did your mind shift mindset shift from we want to have this idealized like i'm sure that when you were back in montana going to school that you had like this idealized version of what farming was right you weren't really thinking that this was a business but now it seems like that you're like you're like, I want that quality of life. I want this. I want this. I want this. Like just from talking to you, I can tell that you're thinking of this more as a business. So when did that mindset shift? Like how did that happen? When did you go from, oh no, we need to make this work? Yeah, uh, that's a good question. I guess it was probably when we when we started thinking seriously about it being our own business. I mean, for you know, once once you take out that that bi-weekly paycheck from your employer all of a sudden it's it's real let's crunch let's crunch the numbers and and see you know what what's going to pay the bills for us and it, so i i mean i i i'd venture to say it was probably in the last in the last you know calendar year maybe a little bit more where we really started to think about it as a business which is right when kind of the course came into the mix. Yeah, that's kind of the same as me. I was I was working with my dad at a shop, and then he's like, 
um, yeah, we're quit shutting our shop down in like two months. And all of a sudden, all these dreams I had about farming, I was just like, I need to pay my fucking bills. Like this needs yeah. to work as a business because I like if I want to do this full time, it needs to work. I can't like I can't be going in debt for this shit. Right, right, and 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 in our case, yeah, in our case, we did we did take on some debt to to get rolling and. What uh what what did you guys uh, purchase when you got rolling? Did you get like a BCS or? Um, did you get yeah, all, the, and, uh, all the stuff that is recommended in the course? Yeah, we've, uh, well, the property owner, they also have a BCS, which was pretty nice. We did buy a, um, we got a rotary plow and the power harrow to add on to it. Um, is you know, kind of J- the JM bed prep model. And, we put up a caterpillar tunnel, got, you know, got kind of the standard, you know, all the, the hose and hand tools and, and, um, we built a, we did build a trailer walk-in cooler, um, based off of the kind of the, the cool bot model. And how is yours working by the way? I think I have to contact cool bot. My trailers, uh, it gets cold, but it only, uh, it keeps resetting at 50 degrees. I don't know why. Blows cold air huh. and then it resets. So, not to just uh, interesting, not to just distract it. I know it was installed properly. So, um, yeah, that I mean, I know sometimes those those things get a little. I, I've never had issues with them, but I I mean, they can have they can bug out like anything else. I'd imagine, but it's worked. It's worked really well for us. We spent, um, I think. Including the trailer, I think we spent about four grand on that. Me too. And how big of a trailer was, did you get? We got a ten by twelve. Oh wow! Nice. Or no, 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 no. Excuse me. Uh, eight by twelve. Eight by twelve. Yeah. So that's a big one. Um, yeah, and yeah, no, it was. It's 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 an eight by twelve, um, and. It's worked. It's worked really well for us, especially at the farmers market, because dealing with fresh greens. I mean, and where we are, it's hot and dry. Like, you can't just have your kale bunches or you know just sitting out all day. They'll just turn to turn to wilted garbage. So we had to. We really wanted to have some cold storage while we were at the market so we could always be kind of shuffling things around and making sure everything was really fresh looking really cool really appealing um so that was huge for us and i think just overall set us apart from anybody else that was selling any greens yeah that's the one one of the things that i had an issue with about the farmer's market i don't know why i'm kind of i'm kind of angry at farmer's markets but um but that was one of the things is that I'm sitting there in the heat and it's just me there, right? But all my products just sitting out in all this sun and I'm just like, man, this is such a disservice to my product. This is such a disservice to whoever's going to get my product. Just it being out here and just going, it's just going to shit all day long. Like if someone comes at the end of the day to the farmer's market, oh, it's killing me. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, each, I mean, each farmer's market's different and I, I totally hear you on the, the farmer's market frustration. We're fortunate that our, our market, you know, they, 
when you apply, you know, you apply if you want power too. Um, so they'll put you on a corner spot where you can get access to power. So that's, that's kind of awesome. what we did. And it was primo. So, you know, a lot of times it was, um, we kind of, uh, Harper and I kind of tag team the market. It was, you know, there were times when we really needed two, maybe even three of us at the market. And then we would, one of us would go around doing restaurant deliveries while the other one was at the market. And then a lot of times, you know, we'd have some leftover stuff and we'd just try and hustle and, and push it to some of the restaurants before we left town. And, um, the nice thing is it was, it was keeping cool in the cooler the whole time. That's great. So we'd always try and have a, have an empty trailer on our way home. Yeah. Now, is that your only, uh, walk-in cooler space then? It's just the trailer? We, we do have another smaller, smaller cooler that just, stays at the farm it's mostly for the csa boxes but uh we kind of we use that during the week and then you know on thursday or friday morning we'll power up the power up the the trailer when we're getting ready for market and and start loading stuff into that so the the trailer is really only in action friday through sunday during the growing season and then and then you know now it's it's out of commission until next spring. Cool. What were your, what so what did your startup costs end up being about? Yeah. Um I haven't really separated out the kind of capital expenses from just general yearly mm-hmm. costs. Yeah. But o- overall we spent about we spent about 36 37,000. Mm-hmm. And expenses, um, and then, and then we grossed. We grossed about as of right now. We grossed about eighty five. Yeah, that's crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, so uh, definitely. It, but the funny thing is, is that I think when people hear some of these numbers and stuff, that they think that you're going to have to keep spending next year. But like, how much do you think you're going to have to spend next year to keep going? Because right. you're not going to have to no, spend that thirty six again. You're right on. I mean, I we're we're hoping to keep that number. We're not doing much major infrastructure improvements. Um, I we we hope to keep that number at or below twenty thousand is our goal. Yeah. So if we can keep our numbers the same, I mean, that's that's pretty. I I feel really good about that. Yeah, I put in fifteen. I put in fifteen five to start, and I ended up spending about twenty one just for like the cost of the season and stuff as everything went on, and as I was making money. Yeah. But I'm not going to have to put in like pretty much anything next year. I'm going to have to spend three or four thousand dollars that I don't have in my business account right now. So altogether, I'll have put in around twenty thousand dollars for two seasons of farming. Right? Yeah, so, that's 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 fantastic. Yeah, and, and it, like I mean, it, it hasn't like you've obviously paid for yourself in one year, which is fucking amazing. But like, my, I'm on a two year plan to be basically have all my money back, which is which is and have a and have a income after that. Yeah, which is cool. Now, what it so you, you know, and 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 the one thing I had to say about you know how we were able to hit the numbers that we did this year 
um, as opposed, you know, to to where your farm is at, Scott, is, you know, we, we had the basis for, for growing, you know, over the past three years. Granted, the methods, you know, varied quite a bit, but um, going into our business, it was, you know, we knew how, we knew pretty well how to grow and process and, um, you know, get all those, you know, even just the irrigation stuff, all that stuff, that learning curve was behind us. So I think that that's what allowed us a little bit to kind of really, really punch it forward this year. Um, and so yeah, I'm, just had the clarity. I, 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 I yeah, exactly. And we were able to just kind of focus on the marketing and getting that consistency on our crop successions down, um, which we were already working on the years past. So you, you're going you're gonna to see those numbers sooner than you think, I, yeah, I would it's, imagine. It's just funny because it's like, it's like when you're learning how to drive and the first time you go driving – your, you know, hands, hands at 10 and 2, eyes on the road, doing everything. You don't have the radio on because it's fucking distracting, right? And your eyes on the road the whole time and you're da-da-da. And then all of a sudden, like six months later, you're eating hamburgers and <laughs> sitting in the road while you're driving <laughs> down the road, texting everyone because you got mad skills now. It's just all behind you, right? You just have the clarity of, of being there, done that before. But I think that sometimes at the beginning, it's just so overwhelming. You just have so many things and you don't know... You don't know what to focus on. You don't. I don't know what what's important. Like, is there a big difference if I choose between these two varieties of radish, or should I even grow radish? Like, I don't know because I don't know what my market is, and there's all these all these different things. And I think that I think that being part of the course and having people to even just post about and bounce ideas off, and like Drew will comment or you'll comment or someone else, whatever. It just helps so much having that community there. Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of the community. What <clears throat> I was going to ask something else. I was just thinking about. Um, I've just been enjoying hearing uh, Scott Grillia with questions here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Um, what? So you guys moved out to somebody else's land. Um, you know, they let you they let you get leased. So they're you're, you're leasing their land. Um, now, does it come with housing, or did you guys have to provide your own housing? Um, do you guys live right on site? Like how, how is that set up? Yeah. Um, we've got a pretty, pretty unique deal because, you know, these people, we were friends with them before we've entered this deal with them. And, um, so I guess a little bit of background, they were, they were gardening here. They were doing kind of a small, CSA with their friends. I think they had about, you know, 10 members and, um, they have a flock of chickens, some beef cattle and, um, uh, the, the gentleman that owns the property, he, he does a lot of his main thing in the summertime is, is haying. So he leases about a hundred acres all around us and, and manages the grass for hay production. And then, and then, He's off working in the ski area in the winter. So um, they built a garage with kind of a ADU apartment above um, two years ago. And basically our kind of deal with them was they wanted to keep the CSA going. And so we increased the CSA membership enough to cover 
our rent and utilities and kind of lease, you know, it's kind of loose. So um, basically we aren't exchanging any money to be living here and using their land. We, they keep, they keep the CSA money and that's kind of operated under their farm name and we just provide the veggies for it. And then, and then we also help them. It's kind of, it's a nice kind of old school handshake deal that's working out really well. You know, we, we help them out when they need a hand, you know, whether it's irrigating their hay fields or, you know, um, doing some animal chores for them, uh, processing chickens, that sort of thing. We kind of help them out with that and, they'll let us use, you know, some infrastructure and, um, it kind of, the, the, the money from the CSA more or less is what pays for us to be here. So how many members uh, is the CSA? It's 30. Okay. So it's about, um, 500, $510 a share. So it's, I think it's, you know, about, was that about 14, 14 grand or so? Yeah. Something like um, that. so, so that's kind of more or less, more or less our agreement. And then, um, we'll, we'll pay for some utilities if we're really using a lot of energy, like, you know, if we've got both coolers plugged in and, um, running micro green lights in the, in the shop and, and that sort of thing. But aside from that, it's kind of a little bit of a, of a, of a give and take, uh, which, which has worked really well for the both of us. Um, just both parties being pretty flexible. How big is your microgreens business? How many um, how many pounds like how many pounds would you do a, a week? Yeah, uh, I think we I measure it by flats more okay. so. I think we were doing about forty, roughly, probably forty to fifty flats a week. Okay. Cool. Um, in in throughout the summer. Are they all under lights, or are they just some of them getting natural light no, in the summer? No, no. Uh, they were just in our in our hoop house in the summer months, and we just transitioned back into going under lights. So they now, still do forty or fifty trays in no, the winter. No, no, we're we're hoping to we're hoping to do. We have enough to do twenty four twenty four a week is our goal. How many? Um, what was I going to say? How? Uh, what's your turnaround time for like pea shoots? From planting to harvest. Right now, um, we're actually just in the middle of our first crop, and I and it's been, it's probably going to be about. We did it. We uh, I sowed those last week, last Sunday, so they'll probably be ready by Friday. So I think we're looking at twelve days. Yeah, that's twelve days. Cool. And it. Um, so with that land, how much total? Uh, acreage do you guys i know this is this is uh this is <laughs> uh back to the land how many how much total acreage do you guys have access to if you wanted to scale up like how much yeah, would they lease um, to you? it about i i think we would only feel comfortable with doing about an acre which okay. is kind of close to where we're going to be at this year you know the interesting thing about where we are is water availability um, we, so all our water comes from surface 
water that's distributed through ditches. So there's a big reservoir where the snowmelt and uh, tributaries flow to, and then that water is then released and allocated to all of the property owners around here. So, you know, our property has a certain water right, uh, which we're allotted to. And, um, you know, the, the tricky part with us is we have the water available, but it's just when it's available is the tricky part because we're growing vegetables in an area where everybody's growing hay and raising cows. It's, uh, the entire kind of community of of landowners around here, they all request their water at the same time. So, you know, the water doesn't go on until mid-May. And then in late June, the water gets turned off completely for about two weeks while everybody's cutting their hay because uh, nobody needs water then. And then it gets turned back on until this year we our last the last time day we had water i think was august 21st second somewhere around there so we had to build a we built a pond this spring to get us enough water to get through those times so we got about 5 weeks of extra water uh, with that pond um, at the current scale that we're at, so it's kind of a it's kind of a tricky thing. Is you know we have the water, it's just how do we capture it for when we need to use it? Because yeah. we're, we're, we're we need water at different times than everybody else around here. So that's been a that's been an interesting an interesting thing, and probably is the main thing that's holding us back from expanding at this location. I would say. Yeah, that's 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 um that's interesting. Uh, now, yeah, and you know we do have a, we do have a well, so we can you know obviously wash vegetables with um, with potable water, and then you know we can use that well to to water our you know our greenhouse crops at this time of the year. But you know, well water is expensive, especially where we are. And that makes that makes sense. And then, how how are you guys irrigating from the the ponds? Um, are you guys just kind of using it like a siphon method, and then you turn it on? Or I, the reason why I'm, yeah. the reason why I'm wondering is because both uh, Joel's spot, we're either going to run from the well, or he's, or we might build a pond for irrigation. And then um, my buddy Cody, who wants me to 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 help him get that going too. Which looks like I might be doing it sooner than later since I don't have a job anymore. Um, we're, but I, I got to figure out some things for that. But he wants to do a pond as well. So my biggest thing is how do you irrigate from a pond? Like, what's the easiest way to do that? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great question. We've we kind of if you're familiar with the Berry Hill irrigation company, Berry Hill Drip. Um, that's kind of where we buy a lot of our our drip irrigation stuff and they have this kind of two acre pond to drip kit and with it comes a pump some uh two media filters and so we use it's a gas pump we uh and then we pump it out of the pond uh to some 
that blue two inch lay flat. We have, we're lucky that our property has nice gravity from where the pond is up high and then the gardens are below it. So we have, we get some nice gravity. Um, and then we kind of just made irrigation lines around the garden and kind of put pressure reducers for our drip lines in the appropriate places. Um, so we were doing basically the entire parcel on drip tape this last year, which was less than fun. I yeah. would say. <laughs> Do you prefer overhead as I, I well then? For the sound of it? Yeah. Yeah. You, it's, it's, it's pretty easy to, we're, we're actually converting, uh, probably 75% of it to overhead for next year, just because I mean, man, it's convenient. How so nice! Convenient. How nice is 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 that? Yeah, I I did. I'm sure, I did. I'm sure I'm just romanticizing overhead irrigation, but I want it so bad. No, I did. I did overhead. I would. I did overhead. It was great. I hear I more. Well, yeah. I hear people say more bad things about drip than good things. The good thing about drip yeah, is that and it's it saves water. Right? It does save water. No, yeah, but that's a like it depends where you're at. If it's just everything, the answer to everything is it depends. It's all about context, right? Yeah. If you don't need to be yeah. saving that water or you're not like some places are way too hot and the overhead when you're spraying it, you lose most of the water, right? So it's kind of it's just about pointless. But like where I'm at, it works so great. And it was it was so convenient to not have to do any drip. I set my irrigation up at the beginning of the year and I had one failure. One of my like something burst on it one day and I went out there and glued up my PVC and that was it. That was it. Like it was so confusing. Yeah, I didn't have to change anything. I didn't have to change anything for the oh beds. God. It was great. I mean, just just the just the weeding alone, like kind of gearing yourself up to to weed a block of beds. It's like okay, now I gotta move all this drip tape and you know all of this rigor, rigmarole just to be able to get in there to weed, and then. You know, and and then you got to put it back. I, 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 the drip certainly has its applications. And for us, it definitely makes a little bit more sense because we are in a drier climate. But I definitely subscribe a little bit to um, what I had heard JM say at one of his talks was, you know, drip is great for water conservation and um, it's certainly appropriate. But I... I'm using this water to grow food <clears throat> and I think a little bit more of the water conservation has to happen on the municipal level with people who are watering down their driveways or whatever they're using water for. That's pretty inappropriate in a pretty pr- inappropriate context. I think we could, I, I feel like I could use overhead and have a little bit more water waste for growing food. Totally. The, justifi- the justification for using resources t- for a localized food production is really easily. The problem is, is that the people who get into farming are not are the people that want to conserve everything, right? <laughs> they're not. The, they're not. The, or at least, so it's just this funny dichotomy that happens where people, the people that probably should be using the resources, are the ones trying to save it. And it's just shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with that. It took me a while to come around to that way of thinking, but I'm excited. I'm excited to get to get some overhead 
going. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have some uh, have some sprinkler heads that you that you recommend. Aside from I've I've been doing some research, but I don't know if you guys. No, have had I would. You know what? My sprinkler heads that I use, I just I was only doing. Uh, I had like 40, 40, 30 inch beds, twenty five feet long. So my plot wasn't that big. I just went to an ear. We had like a, I live in a really big agricultural community, like an industrial agriculture community. And so there was this really good irrigation store, like a mile down the road from me. So I went there and I took them, I took them my plan and I showed him the course material. And I was like, okay, this is what I need. And I showed him like all the couplers and stuff. And then he like drew me a completely different thing with like, uh, with like an in-ground, just regular home lawn kind of set up you know what i'm saying with yeah. like yeah. pop-up head sprinklers and stuff and i was just like and he kept he kept i was like i was like yeah i'm having a farm and then he's like yeah so like this will be good for your little garden and i was like it's a farm <laughs> and then i just kind of i don't know i just say what he said but i would definitely change it up a little bit next year i don't have like i i was running pvc over top of the ground i just ran it like hard lines, but I would I would do a lot of things differently this year. But like you just get overwhelmed sometimes with your decisions. My spot's just yeah. my backyard. I just have hoses running uh, along a fence, and then I have like I just elevated the oh, the sprinkler heads. So then they just they just spray. I just use standard. They're just kind of standard sprinkler heads. I think uh, they seem to work well. But again, I'm not. I'm really small. I'm uh, I'm gonna figure that when i help joel do his um here in the spring it will probably be we'll probably be looking into that and looking at you know um i i prefer overhead but i we, we're not sure if we're going to do drip there or overhead so we got to figure that out yeah well definitely drew definitely look into the that um the pond pond drip, absolutely pond to drip it yeah it was uh it's great i mean aside from the fact that it's a gas pump so you got to walk over to the pond to turn it on and off. Um, it worked fantastically. So, uh, what kind of, what are you doing for like weed suppression? Are you using tarps? Are you using flame weeders? Are you doing everything? Yep. Everything. We got, a, we got a flame weeder, the five torch flame weeder nice. and, and some tarps. And we've been, we've had, we've had pretty good success with the tarps. I think that was probably one of our bigger challenges especially on the freshly tilled ground that we use this year. Um, once, you know, late June, early July came, um, the we got behind on the weeds a little bit for sure. As oh, yeah, everybody know. does. I mean, yeah. Jam, Jam uh, said so, it best. He said, I have weeds. I just don't let them go to seed. Like it- yeah, yeah. And that's that was kind of our goal, but we've kind of been we've been mixing and matching with the with the flame weeding and the tarping. I think we're we're excited for next year because we kind of again, you know, one year more of experience. We've been able to figure out what we need and and the flame weeding thing. I'm excited to uh, like with our carrots. We're just gonna um, you know maybe have a block of eight beds or something like that. And maybe we'll seed two beds of carrots. And then 10 days later, we'll seed, you know, whatever, two day, two more beds and then two more beds through that whole block. And um, I'm excited to just leave 
all those beds open and watering them the whole time and just flame weeding them and flame weeding them and flame weeding them um, just to get all those, all those cycles of, of weeds through. So I'm, I'm excited to see how that, how that turns out. What kind of, uh, what kind of process are you using for amending your beds? Like, do you do a, a whole bunch at the beginning and then just minor between, or are you just doing like, I don't know, what are you doing? Compost. Yeah, um, we're using we're using a lot of compost right now. Um, we're we're kind of uh, we we got to visit the the um, singing frogs farm this oh, cool. fall yep. out in uh, Sebastopol, California, and that's kind of um, we're we're very driven to reach a more or less no till system. Um, that's kind of, that's definitely, definitely our goal in the coming years and getting to see their operation was very helpful. Um, so we're, we're definitely going to go a little bit more towards the heavy composting and not only using that for fertility, but also as kind of a a living mulch, which is really what kind of what they talk about a lot is, is, using the compost for weed suppression too, um, mm. which was kind of a, a little light bulb for us. So we, we use a good amount of compost and then, um, some, some feather meal, some, you know, other, other minerals some azomite based on, we've had our soil tested in the spring and the fall. So we're kind of, um, using those tests to drive some of those more, smaller amendments, but mostly compost. And, and, and we're as far as like the, the salad beds and the, and the radishes and things like that, we're, we're only really adding a pretty good layer at the beginning of the year Mm -hmm. and, and not really adding much more. Yeah. I had, I had planned to do like I had planned to load mine up at the beginning of the year and then do like a couple five gallons between like that because that's kind of how Curtis was doing it and then he's and then I was talking to Curtis and he's like he's like man the only reason I do it like that is because I don't want to schlep around all that compost to all my different plots he's like if I had my own plot I would like if I had a big plot I would just load them up at the beginning it's just way less work and then that's what I found too. As I, as the season was going, and there's just there's so many f- things to do. There's so many things to do, and it was just like I'm pulling stuff out. And man, it would have been so nice to not have to worry about putting extra stuff in there or just put minimal stuff, right? Because there was definitely some sure. times where this year where I didn't like I knew I should have put more compost in there or more amendments, but I was just like, man, I'm tired. <laughs> You can't, we can't do it all. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing, uh, cause Joel, we just, cause he just bought his house. He's got that, you know, like two acres. And I think we, we just built like, uh, we built a ton of beds and we're spreading leaf compost on it. Now we're getting free leaf compost from the city. So we laid, uh, we planted everything out with some cover crops and now we're just spreading leaf compost on top of it. So, um, and it's a, it's a fully composted, product or is it more like a leaf mulch yeah it's a leaf mulch yeah my apologies yeah we're doing leaf mulch there and then um we're gonna put wood chips in between the beds too 
in the in the springtime because um, we just in the walkways and then, yeah and then that way you know every year we can just uh at the beginning of the year just like kind of what jm does is it now with the new is you you know with the power arrow you you just dump the you you basically till up the used wood chips that's already been sitting for a year, and then you throw them on top of the beds. So I think we're 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 wanting to get to that was kind of our idea before we were like I, before I even signed up for the course. Like you can like when I first set up my backyard, I I got a, I got free wood chips from the city for my public plot that was down the street. So I was just taking that, and then I got rid of the public plot, and now I'm. I don't know. I'll probably go back to getting wood chips. I'm just, it's my backyard. It's tough because I got to get behind my house. And, uh, I don't know. It's a lot of, it's a bitch to get stuff back there. But where Joel's sure. at, it's a little bit different. I think it's just kind of like what, 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 um, so I use, I use a lot of mushroom compost in my back because I got, uh, there's a spot where I could get, you know, cheap mushroom compost. It's compost that's pretty good quality. Um, but like what Scott was saying, it's all about context, man. Like what, like, Curtis does a little, you know, does a lot at the beginning, and then you know a little bit during the year. Um, but you know, if if you if you have access or you have access to, you know, s- uh, a tree mulch or something that could just come and dump uh, or uh, a tree trimmer that chips all the all the trimmings and the and then trees that he cuts down, and he could just dump it at your place for free. Then it's a good free resource. So it it all depends, man. Um, I know through cities, though. I mean, a lot of times if you just contact your city, they'll they'll dump leaf mulch, and then you can use leaf mulch as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of options. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. There is a lot of options, and that's, it's funny yeah. when you're when you're choosing because you're like, oh, what do I have to do? And you're just, it's like, or at least me, I just panic, right? And I'm like, oh no, like what's the best choice? I want well, like I just want everything to be awesome, right? Yeah. So I'm panicking, and then like now looking back, I'm like. Oh, those weren't big decisions. Those were little decisions. The the thing is that you're not really like we're, the crops that we're using in the course and stuff. They're such light feeders. You're not really gonna mess shit up no. long term in one season by putting like mushroom compost or a different type of compost or wood chips or something like that. Right? You're not gonna you're not gonna like really hoop yourself unless you put something like toxic sludge on yeah. there. Right? <laughs> yeah. But like, I it's just so funny when you're at, at the beginning though, and you're just it's like it's just like a panic. It's a lot of stress, right? Because you just you just have no idea how, like, how much that decision is going to affect everything. And it turns out it's probably not going to be as bad as you thought. Yeah. Right. No, that's spot on. It's like where, like, you know, you, you're learning from all these people, and you know they'll they'll say one thing and you really take that one sentence that they say to heart and you're like, man, this must be a really important piece to the puzzle. And you're fretting about something that exactly is not, is probably not going to make or break the, the quality of your crops. Yeah. Well, great guys. Um, that's a, I guess we could probably end on that. What do you guys think? We've been going out for about an hour and 15 minutes, Christian. It's been really fun, man, to have you on and, Scott, you as well, man. You ask different kinds of questions. So uh, this is the first. You're the first co-interview of me and Scott. You're the first guest. There you go. Feeling forward, Christian. It's a, it's an honor. It's been a lot of fun. I appreciate I appreciate you getting me on here. It was it's fun to fun to shoot the breeze with other course members. I hope I hope to hear some more of them on the podcast in the future. Yeah, man. It should definitely be. 
I ain't got a job anymore, so I can uh, I have more time. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> there you go. So uh, yeah. If, uh, so pe- people, if you want to follow Christian's work, if you're in his area, um, and you want to you want to check out his farm, or you know you have questions for Christian, go to Two Roots Farm dot com you can uh, actually go to the about page or the contact page it's a really nice website you got to contact us and you can email christian um right through the site so that's pretty cool so if any other way that you would like people to get a hold of you christian no i think i think that's perfect okay website yeah and then and and, uh, uh, and, and give our give our instagram page a uh a, a thumbs look. up, a like, uh, a follow. At, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> at Two Roots Farm. We get some get some photos up there and stuff. So Yeah, cool. I just yeah. I just followed you guys. I realized I wasn't following you. Um Okay, well great. Well Christian, thanks for the show for coming on the show. Um Scott, thanks for joining me as well. And yep. uh yeah, we appreciate you guys listening to another episode. See you everyone. <laughs>